Brandon, how have both the critical and the commercial success of Brokeback Mountain, Ang Lee decided to seize the moment and really make another passion project with Lost Caution, released in 2007. This controversial uh, entry in his filmography saw the film receiving extensive cuts in his, in both China and Hong Kong, um, as well as seeing lead actress Wong Chai Che having her career blacklisted for the rather raunchy tone of the film. Here, a two and a half hour film just absolutely flies by as the plot to assassinate the head of the secret police only becomes more complex when the student turned resistant agents, here played by Tang Wei, develops feelings for her target. I'm Erwood. I'm Kim. And you're listening to Moves and Tea. Let's take it to the booth. Welcome to another exciting edition of Movies and Tea. Tonight we are going to be looking at Lost Caution, uh, as we said, from 2007. Something of a hidden gem on the Ang Lee filmography, which despite it receiving much critical acclaim and certainly making a huge impact in the award scene in um, Hong Kong, this is a film which seemingly has just been kind of forgotten of uh, Ang Lee's filmography, as most people seem to... Forgot, forget that he actually made anything past Brokeback Mountain and obviously it's uh, great that with us look, going over the uh, filmography of Ang Lee this season that uh, we get to revisit this film so I mean Kim I mean obviously this is Ang Lee again returning to making foreign language cinema we've seen him do it not only with his debut trilogy with The Father Knows Best um, we also saw it with Crouching Tiger and the Dragon and now we see it here with Lost Caution and for myself it always seems to be the case that whenever Ang Lee is making foreign language cinema that it sees him producing some of his best work compared to the films that he's making within the Hollywood system What what do you think? I, believe, I, I, I agree with that. I, I think it might be just communication, right? Because she, his native language is Mandarin. So in that, in that sense, like, I find it probably is easier for him to communicate what he really, really wants to portray, probably to the actors. And at the same time, you know, they're working with, especially with less caution, you know, you're, he's working with the an adaptation of a, you know, a, a short story of of Eileen Chang, who is, like, I haven't read anything of hers, but I know that she's a very, like, popular novelist or essayist or something like that in China. So it's, it's you know, I, I, I feel like maybe that's one of the reasons why, and I feel maybe it's just, you know, the values he has and, and just the culture and all that can be better reflected because... For him, it, it's kind of more natural 
So to reflect it on this, on like, in in a movie, it's it feels like there's less barriers. Yeah, definitely so, and I can kind of help but feel wonder if there's sort of less meddling when you're working outside, obviously, the Hollywood system. The fact that Harry's obviously working more, um, as you said, he's working more in his native uh, native language again with actors who speak uh, speak the same language. So you obviously don't have the language barrier there, and we've certainly noted on previous films that we've looked at that he's often had sort of difficulty with working with American actors we saw it with Sense Sensibility uh, that he was having real sort of problems sort of putting across what he was needing from his actors really and it was sort of sort of ended up being this sort of dual effort between himself and Emma Thompson that that film really turned out as well as it did whereas obviously we he doesn't have such restrictions when we look at like Crash Dragon Dragon and now obviously with uh, Lost Caution and I mean, Lost Caution is very different, I think, than anything we've seen from him previously, whereas his other films have been kind of restrained in, in many ways. Here we see him sort of really sort of letting loose and just throwing caution to the wind uh, with, the, with the story he's telling here. It's, it's a film that not only has elements of espionage to it, but it also is highly erotically charged, featuring several very graphic uh, sex sequences, <laughs> which raised the ire of the uh, the Chinese press, who decided to highlight these scenes when uh, commenting on the film, which led to some major sort of censorship from it. And as we said already, it's led to its leading lady being blacklisted to about four years, uh, to the point that she was taking acting lessons over in the UK, just trying to uh, find work because obviously um, she all her basically all her future projects were like suddenly cancelled. Uh, she was due to go on to do a, another martial arts film, uh, which was the role was taken off and given over to Maggie Q. So it's a it's a kind of a double edged sword. Her appearance here is not only is she giving like an incredible performance here, but it's also a performance that essentially costs her the next four years of her career. But I, I, I mean, I didn't really know about that before, but I think that, you know, in, in reality, I mean, Lust Caution is a really, really good movie. And I I don't know. I mean, a lot of actors, I think that they just really want to have one really great role in their lives and be, at least be able to have that one really memorable role. And I think for Tang Wei, I, I would say that, you know, her role in this is, is really good, especially because, you know, she, I believe she, it was fairly early in her career that, this film was, you know, part of, you know, it was, it's the, it's the second actual feature film, which was like her actual first role, first main leading role. Yes. So it's really, I think for her to have this, it, it really emphasizes just the potential she has. Obviously, you know, she got punished for, for, you know, essentially Ang Lee's ambition, I guess, for the movie. I, I, I would say it's worth it because I mean, I, I wouldn't, obviously, you know, no one's gonna, it, it just feels kind of sad because she's the one that gets banned and probably no one else. <laughs> oh yeah, certainly uh, Tony Lung doesn't get anything. Because Tony any Lung is not gonna, Tony Lung is, is untouchable, right? Even at, in 2007, he's, he's untouchable. Obviously, he's gone on to doing other memorable roles and, and whatnot, you know, and I, and I think that actually... Because of Tony Leung is the second reason that probably Lust Caution gets forgotten because, you know, in the mood for love, I always confuse the two in my mind <laughs> because I've never seen it. 
I've never seen In the Mood for Love. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. So, so for me, I used to confuse the two, and then I realize now that it's probably very different. So, yeah, just a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, no, I mean, Tully Leung is, I think, in in this role is the first time I've really seen like. I mean, obviously he was great in, you know, Infernal Affairs and, and whatnot. But in Less Caution, it was just a completely different beast because, you know, especially with that really, like, rough sex scene that he had to do, that was, like, really shocking to watch, for me at least, because I've never pictured him as that type of person, even though in Infernal Affairs he is kind of like a rougher character as well. You know, it was eye-opening, I think. Yes, I mean, it's it's very easy to... I can see where you during the sort of comparisons between this film and In the Mood for Love because there's certain shots that you look at this film and you can see Ang Lee is almost like imitating them. Certainly the the connection between his two leads in particular very much conjures up the same sort of imagery that we get from In the Mood for Love. In the Mood for Love, it uh, should be noted, as I said, it's just a very different movie than this. It's certainly... It's a, it's got an erotic charge to it, but it's certainly not as, nowhere. Uh, you're not going to get anything as graphic as you get with this film, but definitely one worth checking out if you haven't done already. Um, but I think you just you kind of forget in a way just what a legend Tony Lung is in his his career. And you look, start looking at his filmography, and you see the amount of films that he's done, and he's got such variety to his career because he's doing like heroic um gunplay movies for like um for um, john woo with uh, like hard bold he does yeah. like glamour like gorgeous which is a jackie chan movie and now and he does as you say he does infernal affairs he does in the move for love and uh movies with one k yeah I, um, in particular yeah. chunk king express yeah and i mean like tony lung is if you look at his filmography right away it's you forget how much how 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 I guess how much challenge he likes to put for himself because yeah he has some roles where I think most of them I've seen is is where he's more of like the a calmer character I would say and then mm. you have somewhere you know he's able to do action and then at the same time you know you look through it and you're like you're like oh and then he did you know something like uh, happy together with Leslie Chung where I think it was about like LGBT movie uh, and then you move forward and you have other movies that come into your screen so he he has so much variety to what he's done and and the characters that he takes on are are so different that you know you can see how much as a director as as an actor he's just so he's so talented and i think like if if we had the chance or if there was ever a time when we started looking at actors i would definitely be like tony lung is one to definitely look back on because he has he just has so much stuff that's worth looking at and he's worked with so many you know great act great directors also yes of course and i think it's kind of we always sort of credit to really to tang wei i mean obviously this is her her debut feature film and she's holding her own against uh an acting legend like tony lung and much less the fact that you got a young actress with a much older actress being able to portray convincing chemistry on yeah. screen, which is not never easy because normally when you have the older actor sort of pouring over the younger actor, it always gets those sort of like that sort of skeevy creepiness to it. Yeah, Yet, and this one you can't really tell a difference between these two. They seem very similar. These two are great because their chemistry. I think this is one of the best chemistries we've had so far. And and I have to say that Ang Lee has a knack for having first time sex being rough. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe it's a control thing. I don't know. Because 
in this one, it kind of makes sense a lot more than, say, like, Brokeback Mountain when we had that first scene. Where this one was really, like, it was really explicit. And it was very, I don't know, just very intense. And and at the same time, you're looking at this. And, and this whole time that they're having this kind of, like, playing hard to get and kind of, like, playing with each other, you know, kind of kind of thing from from the first time that you know they have that chemistry going on to like looking at each other and talking and stuff like that you really feel like there's this power control kind of thing that's going on between them while you know obviously um tony lung's character mr yi is is playing more of a he's supposed to be the person that's in control i feel like you know it's kind of great to see that he's kind of losing that control in the face of this this you know you know this this young this young beautiful lady hmm. well i mean he's the head of the secret police and he's a man of considerable power and influence i mean the fact that he's noted as constantly having to be surrounded by bodyguards because of the position he holds and this is why she's obviously she's recruited to infiltrate his sort of inner circle and we see as i said he portrays himself as a man of power and influence he holds a nice home and he certainly his wife enjoys a set um a certain level of status as we see her and her mahjong circle they're all very sort of glamorous looking mm-hmm. ladies who enjoy certainly the finer things in life as a, a result of her husband's work and when it comes to uh, Wang Shui-Che, I mean, here we have this girl who sort of like comes into his life and she's having to break down those barriers. I mean, it's it's originally starts off as like that he's the one in control. And we obviously see that with that very graphic and rough sex sequence. And slowly you see the bond between them turn into something a lot more deeper, compassionate, romantic even between them. As he as uh, she becomes his mistress, um, but her story, as we uh, chart it, I mean, I just want to sort of pull it back and just focus on her sort of mm. journey here because we obviously start in Hong Kong in 1938. She's the shy student, you know, she's very sort of inexperienced to the world around her, and she sort of gets drawn into with her fellow university students to. Um, what they call the patriotic drama club, and that they put on like patriotic plays and it's through these plays that they realize you know perhaps we can make more of an impact there's something more we can do and this is where the initial plan to assassinate mr Yi comes into effect and you can almost view the film as being like two films that have been sort of masterfully stolen together and in this first half taking place in 1938 it's the inexperienced university students trying to pull off an assassination plot and of course it's clumsy it's it's uh, disorganized and they're basically going off their sort of uh, they're going off basically things that they've learned in movies and yeah. it really all comes into this really sort of wonderful moment of violence as uh, one of his sort of henchmen sort of reveals that he's uh, he knows what's been going on leading to this very sort of grotesque and intense moment of violence that uh but you know this was still rather clumsy though i think that you know in 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 the in the essence of that first part in 1938 as they're planning this whole assassination and and infiltrating Mm. into you know mr yi when he's in uh hong kong and 
and using, you know, themselves being knowledgeable of the area and acting a role and pretending they're rich and, and kind of like really going over their heads on, on what they're able to take and just not really thinking through, I think, for especially for uh, the character of Wang, Wang, Wang Chai Chi. Like, she doesn't, she hasn't thought through this whole thing until, you know, the moment that it's like, okay, well, now they're going to take it in the seductive angle. But what is she going to have to do after that, right? And, 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 you know, that whole experience of how, you know, now she has to, she has to learn how to, how to have sex. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> it's almost like the, the way that they're carrying out this plot is that, oh, we're playing roles. Yeah. Like, oh, you'll be the driver and uh, we'll be the husband and wife. And as they get sort of deeper into it, and as you said, they find that romantic connection. It's like, oh, women i'm still a virgin which obviously i can't be if i'm a married lady so she has to be deflowered by another member of the group and you have the scene where she's just having sex over and over and over again with uh with this guy and there's a moment where he tries to turn it into like just them doing this this thing that needs to be done like um to into like a moment of pleasure and she just shuts him down straight away which i thought was um was really incredible and we also get the one of my favorite shots of the film where she's uh, standing in standing framed by the window completely nude but yeah. this is very tastefully done mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of tasteful nudity in this movie it should be said <laughs> and it's just so incredibly shot and then we just go straight back into these these sort of se- this this sex scene where she's basically just adjusting her body so that she can portray more convincingly this role of the married woman only for the plot to ultimately unravel because he goes off to shanghai and the group are then faced with being exposed which leads to them committing a very messy murder which really sort of only highlights how inexperienced this group are and Mm. i think it proves to be this breaking point for the group um as they realize you know just what they've got themselves into yeah, I think that, you know, you can really see that there's a different level of, of, you know, how much, I guess, more of a breaking point for um, Wong Chai Chi than for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Because for her, she just runs away afterwards. And she, you know, she finds her own, she just leaves the group, pretty much. And, and for her, because there's so much more that's you know on the line for her there's more emotions and a lot more pretending and and you know she's actually involved in this whole situation and gone through this whole process to have it just being kind of like turned out to be useless (laughs) i found that crazy ridiculous like crazy like it was just like oh my goodness how can this happen you know kind of deal um but yeah, no, I mean, when you when they move, you know, the story is, is long, like they the story itself takes over the course of, you know, four years. And pretty much we go back, um, we go back four years, and then we forward three years. So <laughs> it's, it, it moves forward very fast. And we don't know what happened to those three years. But, you know, um, when when things come back together, you have that one year that brings things back up to present. And I think you really see that change in how how she can kind of like i guess in some ways she 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 does have that natural um undercover kind of kind of uh personality because you know she does jump back into her role of being mrs mrs mac very quickly 
I definitely so. And when we get into the second half of the uh, film, so now we're in Shanghai in 1942. So three years have passed. She's basically struggling to cope with the changing world around her. I mean, obviously, Shanghai at this point is under Japanese occupation. So she's trying to, you know still be a student and at the same time she's kind of being repulsed by the fact she's having to learn like Japanese and she's having to sort of bow having to make all these sort of sacrifices in her life just because of obviously the country being under occupation well yeah and it doesn't help that you know um her 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 aunt kind of sold her dad's home <laughs> and then yes. the only the only exchange she has <laughs> is that they let her keep going to school and they seem like it's such a great favor just to have that and um, it's also an interesting contrast because obviously when we see her in, back in 1938, she's very sort of glammed up and now she's just like dowry, dour looking village girl. So it's it's a pretty, it's like one of the most miraculous, the uh, miraculous makeovers you see from when she goes from being like village girl back into um, her alternate role as Mrs. May. If you think that uh, when you watch high school, those high school movies where you got the geeky girl and she lets her hair down and she's suddenly the glamorous chick is impressive. Wait till you see what they do in this film. <laughs> no, but, nothing um, like nothing like uh, pulling up your hair and tying it all in this fancy little bun to make it to make it make a a girl look like a woman. Oh, and she has a nice collection of hats. I have to say, yes. I love that hat she has. Oh, the, um, the the dresses and stuff that they and the outfits that they make here are are really nice. Like I, th- yeah. I mean, kudos to them to them for making some really nice, uh, flattering outfits. Anything in particular you want to highlight in terms of outfits and any particular favorites you want to add to the Kim wardrobe? Or <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just for like lazy mornings and stuff. So. <laughs> That's the stuff for lazy morning. That stuff place. is like that stuff's like for like really. Um, I ha- I I actually have I actually have one already, so I don't need. Oh really? That's it. I I don't know. It just you know for like casual Fridays here at the office when you go wafting around the place. <laughs> now, those things is like you make them for the pleasure and then you put them in your closet now because there's no use for it. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Now, obviously, in 1942, she reencounters her friend uh, Quang, who is now sort of working for um, uh, secret revolutionary forces, the KMT. And it's here that uh, they revitalize their plan to take, to assassinate Mr. Yi. But now they're coming from the point of he's certainly a lot more experienced and they're, go- they're part of a bigger, bigger conspiracy plot. And it's the fact that their actions as students have now given them this inside track that the revolutionists have not been able to get because Mr. Yi's security has only increased in the three years which have passed. So the fact that they can sort of work their way in with this earlier ruse that they pulled and it's really great the scenes that we see her being trained so she's like learning how to use weapons and she's working on she's given like a backstory to sort of memorize and stuff so they basically like smooth out a lot of the the flaws but at the same time it's a plan where she's going in not exactly knowing what is going to happen until it happens and certainly it also requires her to show a lot more great mental strength as we said because this is where the film sort of leads into its rough sex sequences and i have to say that uh, 
Yes, well, and where Tony Lung may be a, a legend of Hong Kong cinema, he does not really have the physique for doing these sort of sequences. He doesn't have the physique, but I don't think that it was about the physique so much as the fact that it's it's like the best actors, it's not mm. in the way you look, but in the way you act with like just not having dialogue, the way you look at someone and the way your actions are, the way like he doesn't have the physique, but he he still feels very empowering. Like when he's doing all these things, he still, you know, he still feels like a very powerful, a, a very powerful man. I know, it's just, I think, from a visual stance, is, uh, yeah, but, is uh, it's a mean, little spindly, but... Maybe, maybe, maybe I think it's just because I'm coming from, like, the Chinese angle that I think that at that point, I think maybe in 2010s, after the 2010s, Male actors in Hong Kong, like not like the the old generation, but the newer generation, was more focused on like building nice physique and having you know muscle build and stuff like that. But Chinese people in general don't you. It's hard for them to have that you know Western kind of nice body physique. <laughs> so you're not going to be able to find that in a lot of that in that sort of in 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 Asian maybe not Asian films, but like in Hong Kong films or in in just you know Chinese films in general. Um, it's it's but a different. Yeah. I think it's a different thing. So for me, I think it was okay. Um, it was a bit like, I think it was just really graphic. So it was hard to like look at them sometimes because it was a bit, it was a bit like over. Like there was so much of it going on. It's certainly in these are certainly very intense erotic sequences, yeah. uh, to say the least. And I'm sure the Western audiences were no doubt had their own things to say about the natural look of Tang Wei. But to be honest, that didn't particularly bother me um, in, in the slightest. So it's just very... As I said, I think these these sex sequences are not shot in a very sort of traditional Western way. They're just shot with with just more the focus on the intensity between these characters. Whereas I think if you were shooting it from a Western perspective, it would be shot with like a much more focus on the erotic angle of like, oh, look at how these actors are interacting with each other and how everyone's sort of positioned. But with yeah. with these scenes, it is always more about the intensity. And you see it in sort of like the faces of the these characters, yeah. the connection between them. And we see it yeah. again in the, the opening Russell sequence where initially it looks like he is going to be like a very sort of rape sort of sequence. I'd have to say it was. I feel like it was but like in, in it many starts ways. off that way, but then he he because he's got restrained, yeah, and the fact he tears her dress, but then he removes the restraint, which is where the, where the scene becomes really um, a lot different. It's not got the same sort of intensity of like a scene when you look at a similar sort of scene in something like Irreversible, where it's just very much in, very much intense, and it's just the male. Aggression I, I, on that. I, I feel like I feel like I interpreted it a little <clears throat> bit different. I think in the sense that I really I agree with you that the scenes were not shot in kind of like the tr the Western way. In, in the sense yeah. that it's about what they're doing and that kind of like I don't that uh like like it's it's more about every single sex scene changes because you can see that shift in power because of the connection and how much Mr. Yi is kind of changing because of how much how much more he's getting more and more infatuated he is with with um with Mrs. Mai, right? So Yes, definitely. So like in the first scene, I mean, it's just him being 
it's it's meant to be rough and it's meant to be that way because he doesn't like her being hard to get and leading him on. He needs to be in control. He needs to be powerful. And that's and that's the reason why he's done it in such a dominating way where he's kind of like, you know, ripping her clothes apart and just, you know, desperately like wanting to to to, to just have sex with her. There's no passion, there there's nothing going on. And I I don't think that even though he removed the restraints, it's it's just because now he's already done it, right? So there's nothing to there's nothing to restrain her from. Mm. Because in his but, mind, he he still feels like you know, despite all this playing that playing playing hard to get thing that she's had, now he's got her, so she's not going anywhere now. So why keep her restrained, right? It's an interesting relationship as well when you consider the fact that because it's an extramarital affair that that he's having um you don't have these sort of scenes of them being romantic or any sort of like public uh displays of affection mm-hmm. because obviously it has to be all be kept secret he buys her apartment so that he can ensure that his secret sort of kept he can have his uh affair with her and then go back to his wife who let's face it as well she's also playing mahjong frequently with She's very much uh, within his wife's social circle, which is a real interesting thing to do with uh, yeah, but, the woman you're carrying on with. Yeah, but I mean, she's not. She hasn't really moved into the apartment before. You know, the action, the thing goes into action. So the only she's still living in the same house as they are. She's pretty much housing with with the Yees at this point, and 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 it's why it it becomes so intense because now it's just like. She doesn't, he still acts, he still has to be the way that he is, where he just leaves a home and then vanishes for a few days to God know where, God knows where, what he, whatever he's doing, and then he comes back, you know, and then, and then, you know, she has to kind of like do these things in, you know, the middle of the night or, or when the wife's out doing whatever or or whatever like that, right? And it it becomes this, you know, it's, it's surprisingly easy for them both to be able to do these things i guess it's because his life is so separate like his work life and is so secretive to to mrs yi like mr yi is so secretive to mrs mrs yi that he he doesn't you know he's able to get away with these things and i don't know i mean i i actually think the looking at the angle of just you know the mahjong table i i thought it was really fascinating that they did that emphasis of having the wives do the the mahjong table there because so much of the situation of Shanghai and Hong Kong and and the current war that's going on between you know like uh, the just just in 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 China at that point with with Japan and whatnot a lot of it is discussed on the mahjong table between the wives from what they know and and you know who's having what happen and all those little things it's a bit gossipy but at the same time there's a lot of politics that's being discussed as well and and because we don't see see this information from like the men especially except when you know she meets up with Quang for the KMT we don't you know this is the only piece of information we get from the outside world other than you know when she steps outside and we kind of get to see what's going on yeah and and Obviously, this this growing connection between uh, Chang Chai and um, and Mister Yi is really what forms the real crux of the story. Because here she's sort of tied between her duty to the revolutionary forces and at the same time 
equally tied to her, her growing feelings to Mr. Yin. It's you kind of wonder how she can have a feeling to such a a monstrous man. But at the same time, we've seen this time and time again. We saw it in the the Adel Toro season where you've got this handsome brute that these women are just, for some reason, drawn towards. And certainly with Mr. Yi, it's uh, Ang Lee giving us um, his version of the handsome brute. But I think that, you know, I don't think that she really realizes it until that final scene where she, she feels like it's a burden on her because of you know how they're like oh we want to keep you in there when she's like oh i want you know like quang is insisting that they take this opportunity to assassinate him right away as soon as possible and the leader pretty much is like no well we need to be able to get more information so we have to keep her in to stay infiltrated because she's such a good she's she's such a good lead right now that that they have and in that whole conversation i think that that scene is so powerful when she breaks down because she starts telling him about, you don't understand, you know, what this is happening and this is happening and how I'm feeling and, and all these things are going on and all these, uh, all these things are in my mind. And she's having this like vivid description of what could go down and how this whole assassination is going to happen with her there and, you know, and, and all that sort of thing. And, and that's such a powerful scene because it really shows that inner struggle that she's having. But I don't think she's really connected that she has feelings for Mr. Yi until, you know, that last moment when they're in that jewelry shop. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to intention we're not going to spoil the ending for this one. I know we often do spoilers, but I think with this one, we're not going to spoil the, the ending of this one. Because it all sort of hinges on that, the the climax in the jewelry uh, shop where she's forced to make that decision. It's like, where yeah. do you stand? And... That is that is like the real sort of like moment where it just like everything comes together. It's all like everything we've been building on for the last two and a half hours sort of mm-hmm. comes to this sort of like rushing climax as she's sort of like we realize what how she's sort of like the linchpin of this whole way. And we and it's one of those rare occasions where a character is faced with two very clear paths to go down it's it's very sort of it's a very clear crossroads and normally there's sort of like some confusion there's some leaning of which way that she should go and with this one it is just like a clear so there's the choices are very balanced while obviously we as the audience have got one that we want to go we could obviously kind of understand why she would go the other path and it's sort of like do you choose your duty or do you choose uh to to follow your heart and it's sort of like that's just just a wonderful climax to uh to what we built up over this film and it's it's as i said i was just absolutely astounded that, that this film isn't as discussed more because you look at it and you think oh maybe it's just like it's a lot of style not much substance or there's something about this film which uh, hasn't connected but here it's just it's just layer after layer that we're built up of the of the film and just all these characters sort of like come together as we as we build it to our end game so i think that ang lee really really shows us i think i mean up till this point obviously we're we're nearing you know the end of our our ang lee season and if you think if if we look back at ang lee right now up till this movie even we really see that ang lee especially with this one every single every single movie he does or 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 majority of the movies whether it's you know american or not american or or whatever um 
he's very daring. Like, he tries to be different, and he tries to kind of, like, break some boundaries, and, and kind of, like, you know, obviously with this one, it was, you know, the very rarely used kind of explicit sex scenes, because, you know, at, the, at that point, I think, you know, Category 3 movies weren't a big thing, and um, has really kind of died off after the 90s. So, you know, there's R-rated movies are not as frequently used, especially, you know, in, in that scene. And, and obviously it's not so recognized in, say, China, obviously, which would have been a really great market. Um, but, you know, you have you have this movie which is kind of like, you know, y- you take kind of like a historical thriller and, and, and an espionage thriller and you kind of like add so many elements to it. And, you know... I think it's 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 interesting to how he executes the whole thing in you know two and a half hours and still give it that kind of I don't know it has it it's it, it's pretty well paced I think it is a bit slow but uh, but every single moment is working towards like something bigger you know to to our end game every little detail that we have and and it all links together to you know even just like the title that he uses um less caution is can also be you know interpreted as you know in in chinese words it could be um colorful ring so all these two things are very symbolic because they're the, the colorful the ring and the colorful ring is very like kind of like a symbol in in the film that kind of like links from kind of like uh one one conversation to you know the final co- the one of the ending conversations um so you know so I just think Ang Lee put a lot of, like, thought into everything, like, this whole script and, and this whole, like, putting together this, directing this whole screenplay. Yeah, definitely so. I think this is this is him putting it all out. I mean, we thought it was taking risks, obviously, with Brokeback Mountain. I mean, again, that's a film released when, you know, homosexuality wasn't as wildly accepted as it is now. And that's, as we said before, it's a wildly insane thing to think that of of just how far we've come in just in the space of a few years and how attitudes have changed to the fact that now gay couples can get married, which we never, it would seem to be a point where it never was going to happen. And here he was making a film like Broadback Mountain, which has two bright young things of Hollywood engaging in, in very open homosexual relations. And it's... Uh, and here again, he's doing the same thing, except for with with Eastern cinema, he's giving us graphic sex scenes in, a, in, in countries which are sort of renowned for having heavier censorship. So, and to certainly have actresses doing full nudity, it sort of feels really unheard of, and that there'd be a lot more sort of like censoring or convenient angles uh, to sort of cover cover for such things, which obviously Lee does not do here. He does shoots it how he wants to shoot it yeah and and i think that's you know that's obviously you know ties back to you know what you were saying about him because it's not in that hollywood scene he has less restraints to what he's doing so this one i think you know definitely lives up to being a passion project something that he puts together really well i mean he executes everything probably to hopefully to the vision that he (laughs) wants because it's it's done it's done really well like i I mean, I, I remember when I first heard about this movie, I really wanted to see it. And it's, you know, taken, <laughs> taken what, 12 years, 13 years. <laughs> so, and man, was less caution hard to find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't help. I mean, an, an interesting little side story to the film. I mean, obviously this was based on a, 
a short story by Eileen Chang, which we obviously covered at the start of this episode. Um, but in September 13, 2007, an elderly lady uh, named Zhang Tanru staged a press conference in LA claiming that the film was about real life events happening in World War Two, wrongly portraying her older sister Zhang Ping Ru, who yeah. was a promiscuous secret agent who seduced and eventually fell in love with a target that she'd been assigned to assassinate, Ding Mong uh, Mo Chun. And she alleged that, you know, the film had renamed the characters and it was based on her sister's life. And the Taiwan Investigation Bureau confirmed that uh, Zeng Pingru had failed to kill Ding Mongkun because her gun had jammed rather than any sort of romantic connection. So it's uh, kind of interesting that we've got this story. And at the same time, Ang Lee's maintained that, you know, Eileen Chang wrote it as a, 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 a fictional story. And it was not uh, meant as this sort of like biopic, so it's kind of interesting to uh, kind of interesting to think you know where the the truth and the fiction was in this story. So I think so, but I mean at the same time, you know, it it's hard to. I mean, Eileen Chang has has written a lot of really great stories, and I think like if you dig into her her the stuff that's been adapted from her work, there there are quite a few that. You know, probably you've seen before um, here and there. Like, I, th- I think I've seen a few, but I, d- I don't remember right now. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not really like <laughs> I hate I hate to say this all the time, but I, I always think that stories itself from where we are right now, a lot of things has already been told. So when we look back at stories like, you know, this one, it is just simply if it wasn't, you know, with the hands of Ang Lee or or directed in the way that it is with, you know, Tony Leung and Tang Wei and and, you know, a bunch of really good yeah even supporting actors and, and whatnot. The movie would could easily have been something that was very predictable and not good and all that. But it's because of, you know the skilled actors and directors and, and, you know, the adapted screenplay and all those things that really give that extra edge to it. Because this is in reality, it's not like we haven't seen a story like this no. about, you know, you know, an espionage, erotic thriller, you know? It's not new in the world of things, even if it's set in, like, the, the in, in <laughs> Shanghai in 1942, right? It's not something new, it's just the location is different. Um, the historical event is different. So if you say Eileen Chang is taking away from something, well, it's no. I mean, the only thing you can say is her story was something that actually could have happened, which is why the events seem so familiar. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't expect, like, if it actually happened, would it be very different from what happened here? Probably not. You can, per- you can find connection to anything. So yeah, sure, there was, there was a person that existed which had that, same story did Eileen Chang take from that story maybe she did maybe she didn't maybe she heard about it before and then she wanted to write a story in her you know in her own word we never know but I mean the fact was you know Lust Caution itself is it's an outstanding piece of cinema and I don't think I've said that for any of Ang Lee's movies that we've looked at to this point so (laughs) I think I think that in itself is, despite all that, it, it's worth taking a look at because of just you know it. This one shows a lot of Ang Lee's skills and and how you know we're looking at the director of Ang Lee and you know we've had this discussion before that you know Ang Lee is not like 
the other directors we've looked at who has some very, you know, um, recognizable elements in his movies. For him, it's more like the story and the way he takes his story and, and how he interprets that story. It's not really like, um, you know, Paul W.S. Anderson with long hallways and, and stuff like that. <laughs> Definitely not. I mean, he's not a director who has sort of the same sort of visual cues as the other directors that we've looked at in the previous seasons. He's sort of more a director who works with themes rather than visual cues. And so, I mean, I just keep going back over and forth for like these key elements of the, the story here. And I've just been drawn back to... Um, when the, when Red Sparrow was released, which is essentially the same sort of plot here, it's a female um, agent using, you know, sex spinach to um, to infiltrate uh, the uh, CIA. I remember all the criticisms, like female critics and stuff, going, "Oh my god, this is terrible!" It's sort of like portraying women as as horrors, and just that they only use the have to use sex to get what they want and stuff. And I'm thinking, no, throughout history. There's been numerous cases where female agents would use sex in their body to their advantage because it's a, it's another weapon, it's another tool for their trade. If you can use your sexuality to infiltrate and and get your target, then this is what you would do. And there is numerous examples throughout history of it. So the fact that Ang Lee doesn't try to you know draw back and like downplay these elements because it would it's very sort of fitting of the plot that is uncovering here that she would use her sexuality to infiltrate the circle which no other agents have been able to access and the fact that we also have like this underlying threat even what she's doing has been tried before because we mm -hmm. find out that uh, there's been two previous uh, female agents who've who've become lovers of Miss been exposed and then given up their cells as well so and you know i think that point of of this is that like when when we're talking about like her role in in being that whole female espionage using using her her body and stuff the the real thing here is because you know they make a you know they have this conversation about why she's so successful in comparison to someone else and that has to do with the fact that she's not specially trained she's just playing her role that you know she played three years ago yes and she's continuing with that role and because of that it's more of an emotional journey for like it's more of a, a real feeling that's being sent out and a real emotion than rather being that you know deep down you're still this dutiful cold-blooded killer kind of mm. thing you know i don't know um so for her it's it's a whole different meaning and because of that her journey is so much more emotional than than like it, it becomes so so blurred in the lines of you know where does she draw the line because you know obviously after you know that constant we've had a long talk about that that rough sex for me i was like i was like wow after this you know she's gonna want to kill this guy at the end <laughs> and obviously the story takes a big turn in events because their the the, the relationship they have changed and you can see that change between them and and, you know, kind of like that struggle that she's having. And I think that that's one of the most fascinating parts of, of this is that, yes, while, you know, in this current day and age, if Lust, Lust Caution was to come out now, probably the whole conversation would be something like Red Sparrow would have, um, you know, how it's not good because, you know, you're portraying women as, as, as sex symbols. And, and as, you know, that sort of, you know, they have to use their bodies and, and be taken advantage of in order to, to reach a goal. But at the same time, it's like you said, it is kind of a weapon. But in this case, 
she doesn't, you know, while the KMT is treating her like kind of like a secret weapon, she's not really treating herself like a weapon. She's kind of like, she's just doing what she can to try and reach that goal that they have. And, and it's really for that better future that she wants to, to go to the, to go to, to, to England. Yeah. I have to wonder with this this plot, do you feel that the plot there, obviously plotting to obviously with the assassination of Mr. Yi, would this, is this a plot that would potentially have like a greater sort of ripple effect or do you think it's just going to be basically like a BB gun shot at a freight train that it's just going to be a minor victory in a much larger war if they pull it off? Because I just, I just wondered what weight he sort of carries within within what the events of what's happening i mean yes he's obviously an important figure i mean he's head of secret police but at the same time it's a role which can also be easy replaced by the next person down the line i don't know if it's me or you that misunderstood this but because for me how i saw it was that he's kind of like he is the head of the headquarters there but he's only below the person that's the highest and it's this this jang whatever way guy yeah and then, and then that guy is the head of the secret police. So he's really just the the big figure that's in Shanghai, which is running the whole thing. Which is like because they can't touch the other guy; they want to touch the second second biggest guy who's yeah. working for who's a traitor to the Jap- Japanese. Okay. Like, yeah. So I I think that in the sense that if he was to be killed, I think that there would definitely be um there would definitely be a ripple. Like that is something it, there would be a big effect where, you know, someone who kills him will will I guess it's more boosting the I guess the community to feel like, well, now we've we've gotten rid of someone in power. So now maybe we can overturn this this government. It's like a step towards whatever they need. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think that it would have? I th- this is why I was just uh, throwing it out. They just made me. May wonder as obviously as we've been talking about obviously the the effects of it because when you're watching it you're so caught up in in the, the romantic. In the, I don't mean it's just <laughs> just the whether they can pull this plot off or not. You it's not, the the bigger sort of picture of what you know what this entails is is it's never really sort of made a, a big sort of focus point because it is just like they focus more on what she's going to do. And how um, how she's going to do it that uh, that um, the sort of like effects of uh, her actions are sort of like pushed more to the uh, play more subtly than perhaps like a Western one would be where it'd just be like people shouting at each other in rooms and, <laughs> and big charts of because I feel like I feel like from the start her character was pulled into this not for like she was. She was pulled in because her friend wanted her to come into this group. Mm. And being patriotic was never her thing. Was never like it wasn't that wasn't what it was, it was about. It was like her friends felt this was an important resistance. So she was like, "Okay, fine, I'll join in." And then things just kind of got way ahead of her. And then she gets into the situation, you know, like in in Hong Kong that ends very abruptly and then she gets dragged back in. And her being dragged back in like just from the action that you know she's going to school learning japanese shows that she's not as patriotic as the other people in this group yeah like her other friends in this group i think it shows a lot about the character that she's in like 
she's doing this because of whatever feelings of that she she believes she can help. But it was never fully about the patriotism of the whole situation, about where this was going to go, whether it was going to succeed or not. For her, at least, this wasn't about that. And and it, it kind of, like, becomes this much bigger situation, like, much more emotional situation than she bargained for. Further viewing, then, if you like Last Caution, what would you recommend for people to also check out? Um, I actually chose two Chinese movies, okay. which are also set in the same era as this one. Um, they're not exactly the same. One is um, Dangerous Liaison, which has been done a billion times, I know. But 2012 did one, Dangerous Liaison, um, set in this era of, you know, the 1940s, Japanese and Japan invaded or almost being invaded kind of um, world with uh, Cecilia Chung. And it's surprisingly pretty entertaining. I remember that one being. Um, and then my second one is with Chow Yun-Fat. Is a, I think it's also a 2012 movie. Um, it's called The Last Haikun, where, you know, it, it's a biopic about uh, some some Shanghai businessman or something like that in the times of, you know, the Japan, Japan being invaded and how he kind of, like, pulls off this, like, pulls off this ruse where he's pretending he's getting along with Japan when he's actually, like, he's, like, the only thing he's not going to sell is his patriotism kind of thing. Yeah. So it kind of works very well with, you know, the story here. Great. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, you said Dangerous Liaison, so let's not forget the 99 we had one of the greatest adaptations with Cruel Intentions. <laughs> not only the greatest movie, movie yet, but also the greatest film. Um... If you, first off, uh, for my recommendations, I want to um, go with Inglorious Bastards. Um, in particular, for the Shazana plotline within that film, which is obviously the young Jewish girl who grows up and seeks revenge on the Jew hunter who killed her family, um, orchestrating the cinema massacre that uh, obviously provides the climax of that film. Um, in particular, there's so many scenes where she's obviously facing off against this man that she's determined to assassinate that uh, mirrors so many of these moments of intensity that we see in Lost Caution. Um, the next film that uh, I would uh, recommend checking out is Purple Butterfly. Uh, this is from 2003 and directed by uh, Lu Yi. Um, again, this is a never romance within resistance group storyline um and the last one that i would uh go with which is one we talked about already and that would be red sparrow uh with uh jennifer lawrence and um a film which i know there's so many feminist critics who just tore it to pieces because you know it's a female secret agent um uh, it's a russian spy using using sex and her body as a, a weapon which i think was a little shocking because they uh i don't know it felt like that they hadn't been doing their doing the history work when uh, they were critiquing this film and i mean it's not like it was sleazy like ss girls which was or something like salon kitty for example which uh explored similar themes of uh sex sexpen- so 
But those would be my uh, picks, definitely. Um, I think Inglourious Bastards in this film will make a really long but fun double bill, especially. That brings us to the end of another edition of Moose and Tea. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you happen to listen to us. And maybe leave us a review, as it all helps raise the profile of the show. You can uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And we are also on Instagram as well. And uh, if you want to check out our full archive, uh, you can do, which is uh, moviesintpodcast.wordpress.com, where we have not only our full archive of episodes, but we've also got uh, fun reviews and uh, write-ups on there as well. And not to forget our uh, Friday Friday Film Club where each Friday myself and Kim put together a double feature I pick a film, she picks a film and uh, we present it as a double feature format and we just recently as of the time of this recording uh, hit one year of our Friday Film Club so a real great uh, archive of uh, double features to check out there but um, Kim where do we go next? Yeah we're going to the final movie of uh, season 4 <laughs> with Ang Lee and uh, we're looking at 2002's Life of Pi. Yes. So uh, make sure you join us next time for Life of Pi. And um, thank you as always for listening. And uh, we will be back uh, next time to uh, look at the visual flair of Life of Pi. So until next time, good night. <laughs>